The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers by now, you know you're absolutely in the right place. If you're keeping track, well, this is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP, of course. But if you're keeping track, we started this show on October 5th, 2011. Today is October 14th, 2015. Do the math. We have just unofficially celebrated our fourth year here on the Business Channel. And this is episode, live episode number 203. Woo! We're going to be revisiting a topic near and dear to us, the networked economy, shaping the future of retail. And this is part three with three very seasoned speakers. Let me get started. The buzz today. Yes or not yet? Hmm, okay, let me tell you what this is all about. There are only two types of companies today, those that have been breached and know it, and those that just don't know it yet. A little bit of a conundrum, but it was spoken very wisely by Cisco's John Chambers, and that's what we're talking about today. As a retailer's networked connections proliferate, meaning there's more and more and more of them, their firewall will become more porous. Aha. Uh-huh. What does that mean to retailers? That means they have to put more scrutiny on security inside their IT landscape and get this news break inside their partner environment and commu- consumer environments. There's a lot to look at. These connection ports are going to expand and expand more and more as the IoT Internet of Things evolves and more sensors, more connections. So let's talk about what the risk is to ethical retailers. You know, those are the ones we all want to either think we are if we're in that business, that industry, or those we want to do business with. What if the sensitive information they collect about you and me and people we know, what if it's breached? Somebody breaks in. There's a data security wall. Bang, bang, knock, knock, open up and see who's in there. Oh, my goodness, they have our information. Well, is there an advantage if they are a regional or a national player on the retail landscape or is it more of an advantage if they're a multinational dealing with global privacy regulations? A lot to consider. So whether you're a retailer, and I know many of you probably are, or you're just somebody who does business with retail, as we all do, you're going to want to listen up. First up on our returning panel... I'm pleased to welcome back Brent Brown, Director of Retail Solutions and Strategy for the WW Enterprise Services team at HP. And Brent has sent me, as many of our recent panelists have, a quote from the recently departed Yogi Berra, who I believe his quotes will live on and on and on. And he might be lucky like Einstein or or George Carlin, perhaps, and anything that's really interesting and funny and inside out twisted will be attributed to him. So I think there'll be a lot of uh, phony but interesting Yogi quotes. Here's the one today from Brent. 
Brent Brown. If you don't know where you're going, you might wind up someplace else. Amen and amen, R.I.P. to Yogi Berra. Brent Brown, how have you been? Oh, I've been doing wonderful, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. And, uh, yeah, we certainly uh, will miss uh, Yogi and his great expressions, and uh, I couldn't help but uh, pull that one out, you know, this time of year with uh, baseball upon us and uh, yes. certainly uh, relishing the fact that... Uh, my hometown Toronto Blue Jays are still in the race, so uh, oh, uh, enjoying that very much. <laughs> I'm not sure that some of the uh, New York teams are as quite as happy right now, no, but I, I'm, I'm sure they're not. <laughs> I'm glad somebody is. So uh, the little bit I follow baseball. So, Brent, interesting quote. How does this relate to our topic today? We're still talking about the networked economy, but today we're honing in on security, data breaches, ethical retailers. I don't even know if we want to talk about unethical retailers, but how can they help this? What does this mean, Yogi? quote on our topic talk to me yeah i think if if we look at at the you know the expression i you know and if you think about the the attackers who are typically the bad guys um they, they are very good at breaching a retail organization or any other organization for that matter in a very discreet way and you know they're, they're the types of people that are smart enough not to leave a whole lot of evidence uh, behind them, and typically when we go after to try to find those people, we might end up in the wrong place trying to figure out where they've penetrated and what they've done. And sometimes we don't even know that they've done that to the first point. So I think what the quote is basically saying is we can be led down you know, different paths and different routes to try to find where an organization has been breached. And you might not, when you get to the end of the road of where you think you've found somebody, you probably found that you didn't find them. So that's essentially mm. what uh, what I was trying to uh, draw out in the quote from from our good friend Yogi. Thank you. And uh, do you agree with John Chambers' quote from Cisco, the one I opened with? Uh, yes, everybody has been breached. Some know it, and some just don't know it yet. Do you think it's yeah. it has proliferated? So it's it's a fact of life. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. When we think about um, you know the world in which we're in, uh, it's very complex, and and you know crime is is taking on a new uh, a new level or a new face, and and it's not just about crime that that uh, that we're used to on the, on the streets. And uh, technical crime is 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 you know growing at an astounding rate. And uh, it, it is absolutely true that if you don't think that you've been attacked or that you're not vulnerable to attack uh, inside your organization, then um, then Mr. Chambers is uh, is absolutely correct. Mm, thank you very much. I guess that's the sad truth. Thank you, Brent. Welcome back again. Thank you. And let me bring on your, your co-panelist colleague here, Brian Kilcourse, Managing Partner at RSR Research. That's Retail Systems Research, LLC. And Brian this time has sent us a quote from Stephen Hawking. I think this is Mr. Hawking's first time on a Game Changer show, as far as I can remember. <laughs> and those of you wondering, he's an English theoretical physicist, a cosmologist, author and director of of the research at research at the Center for Theoretical Cosmology within the University of Cambridge. And if you want more, you probably know the more. You can look them up. And here's the quote. And this is a little, well, sad negative. But let, let's see. There's a, a punch here. The quote is, I think computer viruses should count as life. I think it says something about human nature, that the only form of life we have created so far is purely destructive. Wow. Brian, are we starting out on downer here? <laughs> Brian Kilcourse, how have you been? 
let me get the needle and the heroin, and I'll just start right now. <laughs> no, we did a drug show last week. This is this is a retail show. No drugs. No drugs. <laughs> no First drugs. Of all, I Go need ahead. to comment. I need to comment to Brent about baseball. I want to point out that there are players from my beloved Oakland Athletics on every single team that's in the playoffs, so I can enjoy all of the teams. So. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, back to business. Tell me, how did you pick the quote from Hawking, and, and is it really that bad? Talk to me. Well, I was trying to uh, point out a couple of things. First of all, I think that Professor Hawking might have been uh, engaging in a little bit of uh, cynical hyperbole, but um, he says a couple of things that are really important. First of all, um, when we started to use Internet-based uh, technologies to connect computers, to connect each other to each other and businesses mm-hmm. to businesses, I think we were de- dealing with a, a tremendous amount of optimism and not too much of a look at the downside, that we would essentially, um, these open technologies that we're using to connect um, our, our computing power uh, together could also be used in, in ways that we hadn't imagined. And that certainly is true in my case. Um, and I think we also vastly underestimated that for every good that this kind of information exchange across the globe creates, there's also a, there's also a dark side that humans, are, humans can do really awful things to each other. And there's a tremendous amount of greed in this world. And um, that's what a lot of this stuff is about. It's about greed. It's about working really hard to get something for nothing. I was going to ask that question of Brent, and I'm going to ask you my question, uh, Brian, is are they doing it for greed? Are they doing it for fun? Is there an intellectual or a peer-to-peer challenge about hacking into systems that are supposed to be ethically protected? What, what do you think is the main motivation? Is it still greed? Is it still profitable, in other words? Well, um, certainly. Um, if you talk to the experts, uh, for example, that from the military sector, they will tell you that that um, hacking has moved out of the college dorm room, dorm room, where it might have just been some some little bit of vicious fun, to something far more serious than that. Organized crime at a massive scale, and it's also used for um, uh, international. Uh, let's call it uh, um, combative purposes. And, of course, uh, mm-hmm. the military people will tell you that, um, uh, for example, American um, uh, defense systems are being attacked constantly, constantly. And we've seen it in the news, um, some of the stuff that's going on at a very high level. I even think it was mentioned um, in the Democratic uh, presidential debate last night that uh, one of the, one of the uh, debaters said that he, he regarded um, uh, cybersecurity is one of the biggest threats facing the nation. Amazing it's gotten to that level. Um, amazing that there were so many sleepers on that panel last night and somebody actually said something interesting, but I digress. <laughs> were you, I'm sorry. We had to keep this non-political. Did you uh, No, We know who the clear-cut winner was and the, uh, the one who actually ended up supporting her. Uh, were you able to get through the whole event or did you only watch, watch part of it, Brian? Just curious. I watched the whole thing. Um, Me too. And I was actually glad that I was able to get through the whole thing because I actually talked about policy, although it got a little wonky at times. But yeah. um, I never descended into shouting at the television, so that was good. <laughs> 
I was multitasking a little, I must admit. Words with Friends was compelling and calling me, but I kept an ear out. And then I was working on setting up the show in the other room, but I kept my ear out. And I said, oh, it's over because the DVR stopped. All of a sudden, there's silence from the other. Oh, it must be over. Okay. But but it was I'm glad you found that reference on, on cybercrime. Good to know they are paying attention to the some of the important stuff that we care about. Thank you very much, Brian, and welcome back. And let's bring on our third panelist who's waiting so patiently in the wings. It's Tim Hood, Global VP of Strategic Technologies and Chief Solution Architect for Retail at SAP. And Tim has sent me a very interesting quote from also a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. It's Donald Rumsfeld, U.S. Secretary of Defense. Let's see. He served as the 13th Secretary of Defense from 1975 to 77 under President Gerald Ford and the 21st Secretary of Defense from 2001 to 2006 under President George W. Bush. And his middle name is Henry. How's that for trivia? And here's the quote. And everybody, hang on. Put your seatbelts on. I know I say that at the end, but this is a long quote. And see if you can follow along. And then Tim will, Tim will explain. Here we go. As we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know, but there are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know we don't know. How did I do, Tim Hood? Is that okay? <laughs> that was excellent, Bob. You actually put that in there as a test to see if you could get all the way through. Um, I did, without a stumble. Talk to me. What does this really mean to us? Does this go back to the Chamber's quote in the opening? You've either been breached I, and know it or, or not yet? I think it really does. And, I, and it, yeah. I, honestly, I think it's one of the least eloquent ways of expressing a fairly eloquent concept, this concept <laughs> that there are things that we should, not, we should recognize there are things we don't even know that we don't know. And I think it's really relevant, uh, going back to some of what Brent said, that in the area of security and um, the black hats that are out there, they constantly evolve their techniques. Brian was mentioning that as well. And they are constantly out there. And so I think it's really critical for all of us to, to recognize that we can't stop. We can't, we, you know, we, we think we, we detected something that's great, but there's another one out there that we don't know. And that's the one we know about. Now there's an unknown unknown. So I, I really thought it was really relevant to the whole discussion, as well as being rather interesting uh, as a quote itself. And then I think about, you just mentioned the dates. If you think of the times have changed from the time he his first term until the second term, and even from the second term until now, it has changed rather dramatically. And yet these, this quote still remains rather relevant in terms of what we, we need to think about in terms of cybersecurity. I think you're right, and I'm, I'm glad I got through it, and I tried to emphasize that fact that eventually we were going to get to the point. How many companies, let me ask this to Tim, and then we'll circle back to Brent and Brian before we get into the what's in your cup beverage storytelling right now. Uh, Tim, how many companies do you think don't know that they don't know that they have probably been breached somewhere along the line of protecting the data that should be so precious to them? How many do you think in, in the retail world? Honestly, I think it's probably a majority in the 50 to 60 percent range that they think they're secure. In fact, they are not. Um, I think a good example, I mean, I used to work for Symantec many years ago, and we did the antivirus, right? You could run a scan on almost any system, and it will find viruses. They sit there and they lurk. And so they're often used on home computers or work computers, you know, that are sitting there waiting, sometimes waiting for, for years. Uh, until they're they're activated in some sense. So, 
it is really pervasive. I, I think it's really, you know, I think we all have this experience. You run a virus scan and you go, oh, there, it found some. Well, how did they get there, right? It's, it's, nobody is clean. Nobody is clean. Brent, thoughts on that? Comments? Yeah, I, I would uh, completely concur. Um, I think you know. I'll go back to um, you know some commentary around the actors. You know the the bad guys. You know they. What's interesting too is that their motivation is not always for financial purposes, mm-hmm. and that that I think is is what makes it very difficult sometimes to you know get to these guys because they're you, again you, you if you think that they're they're attacking for one particular purpose you might be completely mistaken and you know their their reasons for attack might be completely different uh they might be politically motivated uh they could be self-interest or whatever the case might be it is very very challenging to uh to narrow down who those actors may be and what their purpose is purpose very interesting Brian for some of them. Ent- ent- entertainment, there's one for you. I, that's when I said peer pressure. I'm thinking of, I think there was a, a piece done on 60 Minutes a couple months ago about the hackers in Asia, mostly young teenagers or early 20s young men, who just do it. It's just a game. There may be some profit, but it's just, just for pleasure. It's just, yep, we can. Brian Kilcourse, what do you think about purpose and about likelihood of retailers actually knowing that they don't know what they don't know and understanding that? Well, do the second part first. Uh, first of all, I, I concur with my partners here that um, most companies, I don't think, understand that they may have been uh, breached or, or attempted. And uh, the way I, the reason I can say that is because we've seen some data we, when we ask retailers what their stance is on, on data security, we ask simple questions like, do you have a, a policy for, for uh, breach detection and response? And believe it or not, only about 40% of retailers who we asked said yes. Mm. <laughs> that just shocked the socks off me. I thought, boy, this is not new. We've been talking about this since we started using IP connectivity. So this is this is something that needs to be addressed. If only 40% of them have even taken the time to, to put together a breach detection and response policy for the company, that's that's a real problem. And it and it speaks to a huge amount of naivete, which is um, which is why I'm so concerned about it. As far as as far as motivation, I think we talked a little bit about greed, and it's certainly the easy. If you think about it, um, things like credit cards uh, breaches and stuff like that are the low-hanging fruit. From there, it gets a bit more complex. Um, and, and people can do it for all kinds of reasons. You know, we mentioned that, that on the you know, international level, it's used, it's used in kind of as, as an attack, as an attack on some other nation's capabilities. I thought it was interesting, oh, about a year, a year and a half ago, there was a show at 60 Minutes, and they were, they were talking about our uh, intercontinental ballistic capabilities. And one of the things that the reporter asked is, are you concerned about security breaches of the network mm-hmm. that connect these things together? And the guy said, no, we're actually not concerned about that at all because our network technology predates the Internet, and it's, and it's not hackable. <laughs> and it just made me laugh. It's probably using IBM's SNA network, uh, uh, which it dates back to the 60s. So that's fascinating. But um, there are all kinds of motivations. I actually don't think the motivations are, are they're interesting, but the, the, real, the real thing that we need to pay attention to 
is that they're ongoing. They never stop. They 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 gain in sophistication. Uh, there are these people will try to stay one step ahead of the latest detection and correction capabilities. And it's not a project. It's not something you have a start and end date to. It's a way of life. We have to live with it. Okay, I have a question for all three of you. Still, before we go to what are you drinking today, you might be needing to drink something stronger by the time I ask the next question. Would a, re- would a customer, a consumer, okay, you, me, anybody we know, want to have access to information on which retailers have put in the time, the work, the money, the IT expertise to do the best they possibly can to detect, mitigate, prevent, well, what a thought, prevent, data security breaches. Would I want to know, to if I'm looking for a pair of, uh, of tennis sneakers, would I want to know which retailer is most likely to not have already been hacked or if they did to do something about not being hacked again once I enter my information on their website or go to their store and swipe my credit card? Who wants to take that? Is that something uh, consumers either have a right to know or would like to know? Brent, Brian, Tim? I'll take a shot at that. This is Brian. Um, I think consumers certainly have a right to know uh, that that companies that are using data about consumers, and it was basically given up to the retailer by the consumer, have a right to understand that that data is being protected. If you're asking if if consumers have a right to dig into the details of how they're protecting that data, I doubt seriously that most consumers would bother. Um, okay. it, it, it gets down to it gets down to um, um, you know the, the the cost versus the value. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty consistent that consumers will give up a tremendous amount of information about their lifestyles, their financial status, and all the rest if they're getting some value. Um, and that's what they're most concerned about. Interesting, Brent, Tim. Yeah, one of you I, I want would. To uh, this is Brent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would. I would definitely concur. I, I also think you know, being a father of, of three, uh, um, you know, either well, one out of teenage, uh, but a couple of other uh, teenagers. It amazes me that the that generation today does not seem to be overly concerned with mm-hmm. uh, with the privacy and uh, breach around their own data. Uh, maybe that's just them uh, not understanding the implications. I believe that to be the case, but they don't seem to put as, as much emphasis on it as somebody in my age bracket, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. What they will care about is when they when they do the math and they understand that at the end of the day, the more that a retailer has to protect their personal information and their path to purchase the more money they have to spend to secure that ultimately means they're going to be paying a higher price for that pair of running shoes, then suddenly they care. (laughs) And that, I think, is the important piece. Very interesting. Uh, Tim, did you want to weigh in on this too? It was interesting because Brent was talking about his children. I was thinking about my father. Uh, Ah, (laughs) okay. But it works both ways. I think that Many people, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a generation maybe in the middle there somewhere, somewhere, I'm not going to be very specific, that actually has some level of understanding of what it means, but realistically, I think a lot of people in, don't really understand what it means when they say, yes, I, I agree, you know, when they hit okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure none of us have ever read to the end of Apple's EULA, uh, uh, by the way, which is some 30 pages or something like that, which says they can do pretty much anything with our privacy information, our private information. Right. So I think, you know, there's this concept of say, yes, I understand, even if we tell them or they're explained it, mm-hmm. it may not really, the connotations and the, and the certain the ramifications may not really sink in. 
I think, can really be understood by people that don't understand the, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say, Tim, that it's either a known known or a known unknown, <laughs> one of those two. They know that they don't know and they don't need to know or they know that they know and what the heck, that's reality. Tim, can you tell us how old your dad is just so we can get a generational... Uh, my dad uh, is 83 now. Oh, he's young. He's, know, he's, he's a, a young guy. He's a young pup. What can I tell yeah. you? Okay, give yeah. Dad our regards. Guess what? Now it's time to get down to serious business here. Brent Brown, you know the drill. Where are you calling from? What time of the day? And tell me something interesting about what you're drinking or what you'd love to be drinking right now. Well, I gave it away when I said that I was rooting for my Toronto Blue Jays. So I'm uh, <laughs> sitting in, uh, you know, a you know a community uh, north of the city. I think actually very close to where Tim is as well, surprisingly, and uh, enjoying uh, you know a lovely fall day here and drinking a Starbucks refresher raspberry pomegranate. Ooh. What the heck is that? Yeah, yeah, that's my question. What the heck is that, Brent? Well, you have to go out and look. They're they're a wonderful small can drink that uh, that I think probably likes to compete against the uh, the Red Bulls of the world, but uh, is coffee based rather than other based. <laughs> okay, Very interesting. Decent. Ryan Kilcoris, tell us a little story about what you're drinking and where are you. I'm in Northern California, beautiful, sunny Northern California. We like to call it Golden California, but it's actually just brown. Um, that's because we're in a, we're deep into our drought, and um, and we're still being very, very, very cautious about fires and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and to put out the fire inside, I'm drinking 100% natural sparkling lemon arrowhead water. Um, just lemon. as a just as a deviation from my normal cup of Pete's coffee. Lemon arrowhead arrowhead here it is arrowhead lemon sparkling you knew I was gonna look it up come on uh, you've been on enough here arrowhead lemon sparkling mountain spring water thirty three point eight fluid ounces and you know what it's out of stock right now at Walmart dot com it's out of well, stock see I even used my radio voice for this to to read you what did. I was what I was drinking and yeah. you, and you must have bought them all up let's see Staples even carries it arrowhead. <laughs> Let's see if they have it. Uh, Seventeen ninety nine. You know what? It's on auto restock. This stuff is really popular. I don't think anybody's ever spoken about that on the show. Thank you very much, Tim. What can I say? You want to try to top either one of those? They're both pretty good. Well, given that uh, last weekend was Thanksgiving here in Canada, and yes, I am north yes. of Toronto near Brent, uh, I'm trying to repent a little bit for my overindulgence. So I have a nice uh, banana and blueberry smoothie going Ooh. today. Tell me what's in that. What did you you made it or was, did it come out of? I our made bottle? it. Yes, I made it. Yeah. Bananas and blueberry, funnily enough, and some milk, a little protein powder to juice it up a bit. Very nice. Any sweetener? Any healthy. agave or agave or anything like that, or no, just natural? No, nothing too fancy. Nothing too fancy. Nothing but it feels fancy. healthy. I didn't know agave was fancy. I make my banana shakes in the morning with a little squirt of agave, a banana, a little tiny bit of uh, turkey heel vanilla, real vanilla bean ice cream, just a little to make it cold. It's much nicer than an ice cube, trust me. And 1% milk and just give it a rev in the little uh, little Hamilton Beach mini blender and, boy, that tastes good. So there. instead, Yeah, that's what I had today instead of water. We are having a really good conversation here on a very serious topic. This is technically the networked economy shaping the future of retail part three but my three panelists brent brown brian kilcorse and tim hood and i are discussing 
retailers' security breaches. How safe is your data? What are they doing about it? Are they aware of it? Is this going to be the future of retail where it's just one of those known knowns per Donald Rumsfeld? We have a lot more to converse about and discuss, another fancy word, when we come back. So we're going to take our break. We're almost halfway through, but it was a really great opening. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Justin, out. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are talking about retailers and the security of the data you give them, I give them, everybody gives them. What's happening? Are they aware? Do they care? What can they do about breaches and who is creating these breaches? My esteemed panelists today, returning are Brent Brown, Director of Retail Solutions and Strategies for Worldwide Enterprise Services Team at HP. Brian Kilcoris, Managing Partner at Retail Systems Research, LLC, also known as RSR Research. And Tim Hood, Global Vice President of Strategic Technologies and Chief Solution Architect for Retail at SAP. They know their stuff. That's why they're here. We're going to kick off our roundtable right now. It'll be a little shorter than usual because I think we already did have the roundtable unofficially before the break. Brent Brown, you sent me some very interesting notes here. Let's start with this. You say, what makes a retailer valuable is what makes it a target, and then you add brands are a target. Why don't you get us started, Brent? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Bonnie. You know, mm-hmm. there's really two parts to that statement and that idea. You know, when we think about the brand, you know, brands themselves are targets because they're just targets. And, you know, again, we don't always understand the motivation between the actors in terms of what they're trying to do in terms of hurting a company. But sometimes that is just their motivation. Uh, the brands are easy targets because they're popular. And uh, you can certainly see the effects when you attack a brand and you do something that breaches that brand, the, the implications are certainly glorified and magnified in the press. So if you're an actor, you know, attacking a brand will get you what you want if you're in search of publicity and response 
to that attack. And that's certainly one of the motivations. The other motivations back to, you know, one of the things that Brian um, indicated, you know, is certainly financial gain. Um, you know, when you think about a brand itself, brands typically attract people. Um, and if it's a higher level brand, they'll certainly attract people with higher level spending. So that certainly makes some of those uh, characters more attractive to an actor uh, in terms of breach or in terms of you know violation of, of data and personal privacy or information. So it uh, you know there's really two sides to it, and and I think sometimes the retailers believe that their plight around protecting their brand is critical, um, but they probably because of past experience understand that the information of who their customers are becomes really the thing that will keep them out of the press. Hmm, interesting. You want to give us some stats on breaches? I know you have that here in your notes. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, I, Please. Uh, well, and, and the data is, is you know, I, I think anybody can uh, could, could refute the data, but certainly what we do understand is that a typical breach, um, in terms of being able to detect that breach, exceeds 240 days. So if you think about how much time goes on and elapses before a retailer understands that there has been a breach, that's a long time. Um, I think one of the other statistics that's really intriguing to me is that most of the time, I mean, nearly 95% of the time, the breach isn't, isn't even reported by, um, by the retailer. It's reported by a third party which is incredible as well. And, and there's an incredible amount of time, and this number is going to grow over, um, over the history of, of breach, but today it's nearly $9 million is the average cost um, of, of a data breach, and that number is only going to grow as, uh, as we move forward because they're more complex uh, in terms of how the attacks are happening, and finding them and reacting to them is going to take more time and more money. Mm. Mm, big numbers there. Brian Kilcourse, agree, disagree? What does your research show? Well, um, I agree. Um, I, as a matter of fact, I, I, I listened uh, in June to a, um, a military cybersecurity expert, and he gave very similar numbers. I'll just read them out to you. Um, the t- uh, 2014 estimated global cost of breaches was $400 billion. Um, mm. that's, a, that's a fairly substantial amount of money. Um, and he quoted a, a global number of $6 million per, per breach and 205 days average time between the hack and the detection. So these are similar. They were in the same ballpark as what mm-hmm. Brent just mentioned. And, and the one thing we can take from this is that being breached is expensive. Um, the, 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 the time between uh, a, a, a virus being inserted and then being activated is a long time. As, as Tim mentioned, and, um, and, and companies are being heavily impacted by it, which brings up another subject, of course. It's the fiduciary risk associated with breach. But I yeah. think at the end of the day, you, know, you mentioned about customers earlier, I think it really comes down to, to uh, um, the impact on the brand. Aside from all the financial implications and the IT implications, in this world where consumers are using the digital channels to, to inform their purchase decisions and to share information in a two-way dialogue with retailers, it, 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 it can impact the brand in a really negative way. So that's something mm-hmm. that retailers need to be concerned mm-hmm. about. 
Absolutely. Before Tim comments, and I know you're ready to chime in here, Tim Hood, uh, one note here. I'm looking at the breach stats from Brent, and I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but uh, to me this is glaring. You say 94% of breaches are reported by a third party. Brent, can I just circle back to you for a second here? Who are these third parties? This is scary. Yeah, that's uh, that. That's a really good question. I don't know that. Uh, I mean, those the third party groupings could be any anyone from a you know a consumer themselves, you know, on up to a partner, um, you know, or a um, an organization, one of their uh, one of their uh, co brands or one of their suppliers. Um, it could be one of their banks um, that they're working with. It could be one of their network providers. Um, so that there's a whole host of people that would be in that category. Um, but interestingly enough, it's not coming from inside the organization from where the breach is happening. And as we see more and more retailers setting up um, you know, operations around you know, having a, a chief information security officer, um, it, you really hope that changes because <laughs> that's a big number. It's a huge number, and that also says to me that I wonder if the employees of the retailer are also customers of the retailer, because if they are, they might have encountered the break, and they would be reporting as a third party, meaning to me, outside the family, outside, and they would be that third party, meaning, hey, I tried to buy a widget from you, Mr. Employer, who I work for and get my paycheck from, and I think we've been hacked. So yeah. that would be an interesting uh, double edge, but, but I digress. Tim Hood, thoughts, please? Yeah, I don't have any stats, but I uh, agree with both of them. But where I, I pick out is the two, you know, the number of days between the breach and the number, you know, the percentage reported. It goes back to the quote that you started with, right, in that <clears throat> from John Chambers. Everyone's been breached, mm-hmm. right? And really, to me, it, it leads to this thought of, uh, as Brian mentioned, do they have a policy and a, and a, and a program that, to do something afterwards? And then, of course, for me, it goes right down to the very basic should they be looking at what they're storing, right? So they actually just assume it's going to be taken, right? This assume everything you have is yes. going to be available to the, you know, to the bad guys and then to the public. And it, and, it, and it starts to change, potentially change the behavior and the policies of the retailers and other businesses. Um, but I, I think Thank most you. people and most businesses think the other way. Well, I'm doing my job to secure it so I can do anything I like inside my fence, Mm-hmm. Um, right, because I have a strong fence and I made it really high, so we're good. But of course, we know from these numbers now, that they're just not. Now that's a perfect segue for me, Tim. Thank you. I'm looking at notes from Brian Kilcourse and Brian. Uh, let's talk about present day challenges and threats versus what's coming next. Let me just read, if you don't mind, one statement from your notes, and then you can run with it. We'll have Brent and Tim chime in. You say even while dealing with implementation of standards such as PCI mandates, which deal with present day challenges, technology marches on. And I will parenthetically add, so do the bad guys who spend 100 percent of their time and a thousand percent of their budget for out new ways to break through, and retailers are faced with new unforeseen challenges, which might be the known unknowns. And you say, the next one, question mark, here comes it, here it comes, IoT, Internet of Things. What's the exposure, the, the risk points that are going to be exposed with the proliferation of sensors coming down the pike? Brian? 
Good question, and it's something that I think that retailers really need to think about. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm I jokingly refer to myself as a recovering CIO. Um, I got a 12 point program, the whole nine yards. But um, um, think about what Good we, one. what our, what our job as CIOs was in the old days. It was to push information out as far as we could safely do it to the people that needed to see it. And the, and the operational phrase there was safely. Um, but at a certain point, the dialogue became two-way. We weren't just pushing information out. We were gathering information in. And in the last iteration, what we have done collectively in, in this world is we have, we have created a connection directly to consumers. So consumers now routinely interact with retailers, usually on their smartphones. And, there's, and, and that creates a, a tremendous, um, let's call it management issues, if you don't want to call them security issues. Lots and lots of issues. So, for example, if you put an app on a consumer's phone, are you compelled to keep that app up to date? Um, how do you want to control access to your systems? Which systems do you want them to be able to access, et cetera, et cetera? All kinds of technologies to make that happen. And now we're talking about uh, perforating the network even more with potentially millions of devices that connect without human interaction into our, into our infrastructure. And each one of those breakpoints, think of them as little intersections, um, have to be controlled in some manner so that uh, we make sure that we're only passing information out to the intended target and we're only getting the kind of information in that we are looking for. And it just creates, I characterize it as an order of magnitude greater management problem. Now, that's all fine and dandy if the management systems were in place um, to, to make that happen. But most retail CIOs, if they were being straight with you, would tell you that they're struggling to manage the consumer connections to the smartphones and those kinds of things. And now we're talking about proliferating a whole new generation of technology that interacts with our, with our networks without human interaction. And that's, I think, a huge challenge. It is. Tim Hood, you agree? Agreed, absolutely. Again, I, I noticed this week that Amazon released their Dash SDK. They had released the little Dash appliances, the little buttons to automatically reorder, but now they have an SDK. So the, uh, the appliances can now automatically trigger orders for the consumers. So it, it, it's just proliferating dramatically. So yes, I have these nightmares of malware infecting these appliances around the world. Wow. wow, the bad boy blender on your kitchen counter That's could right. be the, the one that's take over the giving world. away. That toaster is going to let you be, make you be toast one of the, oh my goodness. You know, it, it's uh, the automated house, the network house, the IoT home is certainly coming and a lot of people see it as very exciting, but there is a downside. Talk to me, Brent Brown, thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, I, I'm sort of torn on this issue around uh, the Internet of Things um, in terms of its complexity. It, it's certainly, I agree with, with Brian, that it, it creates a, a broad range of complexity. I, I wonder, though, how valuable is it to an actor or a bad guy that I have, you know, pressed a Tide detergent button on my washing machine and try to understand what the value of that is data and information is. Now, they definitely would care if there's a connection to a payment that goes hand in hand with that. That I understand. You know, I, I think there's really two things that, that come to play here, and I definitely believe that the whole BYOD of bring your own device, you know, to the organization has created, you know, a, a real challenge, you know, to Brian's point. And I think that's only going to grow as we begin to connect a broader set of technologies 
into the organization, be it you know lighting and refrigeration and and other things, that that, that creates a whole new complex set of uh, connections and and probably breach points. Now, I think the other uh, challenge relates to this influx of, of of data and the the proper use of that information. So, I think we tend to be very focused around the breach of information related to, you know, customer transactional information, which is true, or loyalty data. But as retailers begin to suck in information around social uh, intelligence and social analytics and begin to use that, you know, more holistically in the organization, that creates another set of challenges for them, too, because now they're, they're taking that information in. And, you know, rightfully so, they want to understand what are some of the social implications of their customers and how do they respond to that with offers, et cetera, et cetera. But in doing so, they're certainly exposing themselves to holding that information and, uh, and using it. So, you know, I think when we combine it, that there's sort of a perfect storm that's coming where data and technology machinery, you know, Internet of Things, mm-hmm. are coming together in this, you know, a point in time. We're starting to see some of these things happen now. And, and I think all this is going to do is accelerate the challenges of the, of the statistics that we just talked about, that it's going to be longer to detect a breach. It's going to cost more to fix a breach. Um, and they're going to be spending more and more time on triaging breaches than they are uh, in terms of um, proactively preventing breaches. And, you know, it, it's moving at such an incredible rate. That's the challenge that, that retailers are, are really faced with. It's data and, and information and technology is moving quicker than they can keep pace with. Thank you. And I'm going to move quickly because we're almost ready for our predictions round. Tim Hood, there's some very interesting information in your notes here talking about what can the retailer do. And you say the conclusion is not to throw your hands in the air, wave that white flag and surrender, or say uncle or whoever your relative is who wants you to surrender, but to ensure your prevention, your mitigation strategy against hacking has multiple dimensions. I'm just going to rattle these off, but there's one particular one I'm most interested in, Tim. You say, first of all, a multi-layered defense. You can describe that in a second. Active monitoring. Yes, we agree. The third one is the one that, that got me. You say, conscious decisions about what data you keep. And then the fourth one is a robust breach response and mitigation plan. Let's talk about the conscious decision about what data you keep. What should they be keeping? What would be your solution, Tim? What? Again, I think I mentioned it before, we've all touched on it, but if you assume that the data you have will be exposed, it may mm-hmm. change what you're doing. Yes. Um, one of the interesting ones recently, the breaches was Ashley Madison, good Canadian, right. a Canadian company. I'm not going to say good company, but, you know, there was an exposure there, and really there was, um, they, they, they hacked the accounts, and they, they exposed the, the account owner's names and the credit card data, and realistically, the account names were the ones that caused all the press, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it, yep. Even though credit card data was exposed, it wasn't the, thing, the focus of the public and, and people's concern. It was around the fact that, the, that people's names were there. So, you know, you really have to think about what's, what's there. So, again, I, I think it's fairly, you know, just it's basically uh, a known unknown, right, or known known. I don't know, take your choice. The fact is, you should you should assume that if you're keeping this, and and by the way, it's not always data that you are collecting from individuals. It's data that, in retailers' case, we're deducing uh, information. We are able to deduce quite a bit about 
your personal habits, let's say if it's a grocer or something like that, we can deduce quite a bit about your, you and your family based on your purchase decision. You don't have to tell the retailer that as a consumer. This information is available to be deduced. Most retailers also are purchasing information, and most consumers would be rather shocked about how much information is available to be purchased on your household income, et cetera, et cetera. So, and they're putting that all together, and they're storing it. So it's all sitting there. So I think that's really where this idea, uh, my, my phrase is often, it, it, it's transitioned from uh, can I to should I, right? Yes, we can now. We have the technology to store massive amounts of data. We can deduce, we can make statistical deductions about kinds of, you know, various things about you and your purchase behavior. So the question is now not can I, but really should I? Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Brian, thoughts on this? Well, I think I think Tim's right on. I've, I'm going back. I was listening to him going back to an example in my own career, um, where um, there was a discussion between the marketing people in my company and the pharmacy. We ran a pharmacy in the back of our store, and and the the discussion was it was actually quite an argument. The um, um, if for example, um, we know that um, somebody is taking prenatal vitamins, there's a fairly good chance that person mm-hmm. is pregnant. Um, not necessarily, as it turns out, but yep. it's, um, it's, it's a fairly good indication. If somebody is, 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 is um, taking insulin, that's a pretty good chance they're diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things, these pieces of data were very interesting to the marketing people because, of course, they could, for example, if somebody's taking prenatal vitamins, and then you could start sending uh, coupons for, for basically a baby club. Oh, yeah, problem, and I think that's problem, been done, and it made the news a couple of years ago where people it, were getting happened congratulations. happened over and over again, but in you my bet. company, it was considered an ethical breach. Now, this is back yes. in, the, in the 90s, in the early 90s. Yep. Nowadays, we have information about virtually every customer that interacts with us in any way. Um, think, about, think about it, the, um, the, the pop-up ads that you see on the Internet. You know, if you express mm-hmm. interest, have, have you ever been surprised by the fact that you might have done a search on something? Might have even have been yesterday. And you get back on the website and suddenly you're getting pop-up ads for things that you you related to what you searched the other day. Every um, day. Every yeah, day. it happens all the time. All so the time. There, there's an analytical engine somewhere that has, has basically predicted your behavior based on your past behavior. And retailers can, uh, I'm not saying they do, but they can... Um, uh, find those those patterns out. Um, the, the companies that are represented here, both HP and, and SAP, they have a lot of technology that makes this possible. Mm-hmm. All for the good, by the way. Retailers, if you ask them, they'll say all they're trying to do is help people solve their problems. They want they want to get them in, in touch with the best options for their lifestyle need. But that same data can be used in in very bad ways. Um, one of the things that I've always been amazed by is when did I actually give um, the, uh, the, the credit rating businesses permission to keep every single detail of my financial history on their databases? Mm-hmm. I don't remember signing a piece of paper about that. And yet that information is available to anybody who's willing to pay the price. And, uh, and, and that's for legitimate purposes. Imagine if one of those companies got breached for illegitimate purposes. You know, retailers mm-hmm. face the same risk. It's a little different, of course, because it's, different. it's about behavioral data. But behavioral data can be used to predict uh, what people are going to do, when they're going to do it, and where they're going to do it. 
Well put, very well put, and we're just about at that time where we need to, what I like to say, slide into home plate. How appropriate is that given the time of the year in the sports world and start our predictions round? But a, a quick comment uh, to you, to you, uh, Brian. I, I'm on Long Island here in New York, and my cable provider is Cablevision, which was just recently sold to Altis, or Altis, A-L-T-I-C-E. But every time I want to go and look at the TV schedule on my Excite homepage, which I keep just for news purposes... Cablevision makes me enter my zip code and which part of their empire I am getting my services from. So I talked to them and I said, come on, I've been a customer for how many years? I have to enter my zip code every time I want a local TV schedule. And they say, well, a lot of customers complained about our keeping that data. So we want to make sure it's secure. So you do have to enter your zip code. Am I right? Am they right? Is Are you shocked, Brian, that, that no, in this day think- and age... I think consumers are becoming very aware of this. And, um, yeah. And that, you know, so my guess is that you'll stop complaining every time you enter the zip code. Um, <laughs> I only complain <laughs> once. But on that note, we've got to go to Brent Brown and find out. Brent, I hope we'll come back for part four. This has been very interesting. Well, we'll leave it up to the three of you, you and Brian and Tim, to come up with a tweak for the opening so we can reconvene because I think this is very interesting to people in retail as well as everybody who's a customer of anything thing where your information is requested and potentially stored. So, Brent Brown, I'm going to give you, oh, we're really short on time here, 60 seconds for predictions. You know I still love the year 2020. Uh, What do you (laughs) predict will be different about this particular part of our Shaping the Future of Retail topic? So, Brent Brown, prediction 60 seconds, go. Yeah, I think about the network economy. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, today about uh, breach. I, I honestly believe that we are just scratching the surface of the unknowns, and I believe that this is going to dominate in the next, you know, five years for sure. Um, some of the major um, initiatives that retailers focus on when you think about both consumer uh, consumer engagement, you think about data and information. We think about digital assets that a retailer owns. How are these protected? How are they aligned to the brand to protect that brand? I believe that, uh, that we're going to see this rise to the very top of investment and focus from the retail customers. And those who don't, I don't think will survive. Well, there's an interesting prediction. Thank you very much, everybody. Listen up. Brian Kilcourse, prediction 60 seconds. Go. Well, I agree with what Brent just said. I think that this will rise to the very top of, of, of the set of technical issues that have to be dealt with. Um, I, I do believe that as retailers are being forced into this world of, of, of real sophisticated two-way dialogues with consumers, they also will be forced to deal with this. And in a, in a few years, I'm very hopeful that we'll be talking at a different level. It's early, early days for retailers, even though it's not early days for, for those who would do the breaching. And um, and they've got to grow up real fast. And, I, and I'm sure they will because it's a survival tactic, just as Brent said. Mm, survival's the name of the game, I think. Tim Hood, thoughts? 60 seconds, <clears throat> go. Well, my prediction is that my quote will still be applicable in five years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on this particular topic. Because uh, it's uh, applicable and very relevant for today. Uh, I'm going to be a little more pessimistic. I hope retail, I mean, I wish retailers would bring it to the top of the mind and would really be focused on it. But, you know, um, things like our, our experience with PCI have shown that the, most retailers kind of do it grudgingly and do it just because they're told to. So I wish and hope that retailers would, but my expectation is there still be a section of the retail market that 
that tries to pretend and push it off to later and say we have more important strategic objectives. Um, <clears throat> but I really wish and, and hope that they will uh, bring it to the floor because it is required and it is part of our, it's part of the world that we live in and it's, it's, it's necessary to take these steps and do, and do the due diligence given the world we live in. Thank you very much. I have to do a shout-out to Wilson Zhu. Anybody wants to look him up in CHU at SAP, who started part one of this topic on the future of retailers, shaping the future in the networked economy, on the series he worked with me on a couple months ago, Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. Well, we just borrowed the topic and invited our three esteemed panelists to come here on Coffee Break. I'm going to throw out a proposal to the three of you, to Brent and Brian and Tim, how about coming back? I think my next opening is in February of next year. And let's come up with something interesting. Are you interested, the three of you? In a heartbeat. Absolutely. How could you say no to me on the air? Thank you very much, and you didn't. I want to thank uh, Brent Brown at HP, Brian Kilcourse at RSR Research, and Tim Hood at SAP. Wonderful conversation. So pleased to speak with the three of you again. And thank you to Justin, our engineer at World Talk Radio, the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. And by the way, I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern today. It's a Wednesday doubleheader day, and I don't even get to go to the ballpark. And we will be coming back with game-changing HR leaders talking about the new way to plan for succession in your company, not just about replacing people, but what's good for the business, recruiting, retaining, motivating, enlightening, and and getting the best developed talent on board for the future of your business. Business is the key word. So here's your fasten your seatbelt comment, my call to action. What are you waiting for? I don't care what you're doing. Just stop everything. Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. Talk to you in a few. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.